0: The world is evolving at a faster pace than ever before. And as we begin the path to recovery after worldwide disruption, this podcast explores how the design industries can adapt to changing expectations and create a better future for both your businesses and your consumers. I'm Bethan Ryder. You're listening to Create Tomorrow, the WGSN podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 36 of the Create Tomorrow WGSN podcast, which I've been very much looking forward to because it's all about sex. At WGSN, we've published a few reports recently on the site around the shifts and strategies in selling sex on Insight, sexual wellness on beauty and inclusive sex tech on our recently launched consumer tech platform. It's always been a hot topic, but what's exciting is that the sexual conversation is expanding and there's a shift towards more open, honest and diverse conversations, depictions and explorations of sex and sexuality from a multiplicity of viewpoints. So with me here to discuss why this is happening and what it means for brands and consumers are some of our WGSN experts. We've got Nick Padgett, Senior Strategist on Menswear. Hi Nick.
1: Hi Bethan, how are you?
0: Very good. I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to this. And we've got Claire Varga, our head of beauty. Hi, Claire. Hello. I'm really looking forward to this. Thank you. <laughs> and um, over in the US, we've got Caitlin Monaghan, a strategist on consumer tech. Hi, Caitlin. Hey,
2: Bethan.
0: Thanks for having us. OK, so I want to start really by talking about why we think this landscape shifted and changed and what the social drivers are behind it. And I think I'll come to you, Nick. I know we've touched upon on our reports about this uh, move towards gender inclusivity, the Me Too movement. What What do you think, what do you see happening and, wh- and why are we kind of loosening up a bit, if you like, about sex?
1: Yeah, uh, it's well, it's massive, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a huge deal to talk about um, because I think particularly for men that it's like this acceptance that we're, we're going to start to talk about something that is usually... Um, in a, in a hyper masculine sphere, you're, you're only allowed to say that firstly, that you really love sex, secondly, that you're really good at it, thirdly, probably that you've got a really huge penis. It's, it's like there are so many reasons why men could feel inhibited to talk about sex. Um, and finally, some of those things are starting to be broken down. And I think you know, a lot, there are some things happening in tandem, right? So there's, you know, people are more. Uh, particularly men, are more able to talk to other men and particularly other, you know, gay, maybe they're gay men and have much more frank and honest conversations that, you know, that wouldn't have been able to happen before. So, and, and I think it's because it's kind of enabled by the fact that men are talking much more about their mental health, their emotions in general, fashion, everything has stopped, you know, they, they've stopped being topics that are no-go areas for men because they're starting to stop just being two-dimensional characters and and they're starting to live much more authentic lives, which is better for everyone, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think um, certainly I would say um, a big nod to Sex Education, the TV show, which um, to me, I think our report about sex positivity came out really and and drew upon that same kind of positive view of all the ways and, and kinks of sex that people can have. Um, brilliantly and even more brilliant that the two main two of the main characters are a straight guy and a a gay guy right talking about things I haven't let my daughter watch it yet but I I like to think that this Gen Z generation are really um, embracing and and pushing this Claire you um, are on Beauty you talked a lot about sort of the touch starvation during the pandemic do you think we're seeing part of this as well as a kind of like liberation from our sort of touch starvation during lockdowns?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think if if there's one thing that became apparent during the, the pandemic, it was just how important, you know, touch or being touched is and that, you know, sexual wellness... Is, is a really essential part of our self-care. And I think that's what we're seeing now. You know, it's a, it's a, a move away from conversations just around sex to sexual health and sexual wellness. And, and it, it's, it's a recognised form of a very important self-care. I mean, the category was growing really heavily before the pandemic, but obviously it, it, is, a pan, it is one of those categories that's been really accelerated by the pandemic we all had a lot of time on our hands, you know, there's no doubt about it. So, But one of the things that 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 gave us was it it allowed people to sort of um, experiment and and rediscover things and and really just explore their own intimate well-being. Um, And whether that was, you know, on their own with other people, whether it was in real life or virtually, but there was a lot of exploration um, going on. So, as I said, I, I think it really helped us understand the importance of, of of sex and sexual wellness in terms of both physical and mental well-being. And that really changed the sort of narratives that were going on around sex towards, you know, the importance of uh, intimacy and pleasure and joy. You know, it, it became quite a joyful thing. and. And I think, you know, Nick sort of alluded to it as well, that there is that, you know, a lot of the stigma and the nudge, nudge, wink, wink sort of conversations around, you know, um, sexual wellness products. Um, they, they've sort of gone away and we're sort of now seeing brands, you know, explore and, and help people explore and sort of discover things in a very safe, very welcoming and very inclusive environment. So it's, it's, been, a, it's been a real uh, interesting time, actually.
0: One of our statistics stats, actually, is that the sexual wellness market will potentially uh, reach a global value of $125 billion by 2026. So it's clearly um, a category for people to think about. Um, In fact, only today I was listening to Radio 4 on my dog walk and they were discussing advent calendars and apparently there are sex toy advent calendars this year Um, and the brilliant thing about them is that they are inclusive and they are for every type of um, sexual persuasion.
3: Yeah, we've talked a lot about the fact that, you know, people are, you know, this this sort of normalising sexual wellness products and it's also like putting them on par with all your other everyday essentials so on par with shampoo or your favorite moisturizer you know and you know they're not these things to be you know whether it's a product or a toy or or anything they're, they're not things that are sort of hidden in the bedside drawer anymore you know they're, they're pretty shelfy worthy mm. braggable covered covetable products <laughs> you know they're designed to be on show and discussed and, and i love that about this this whole
0: area and is there a part of this as well um For brands to sort of to gain loyalty and um, devotees an element of sort of education too in in some of their marketing around sort of sex, being being positive about sex. Are you seeing things um, in that space? I don't know, Nick, if you're seeing things talking to the male consumer there.
1: I think the most the single most notable one that I can think of is how Grindr, the, the gay dating app, has been used to debut fashion shows. J W Anderson kind of led this, um, led the charge with this back in 2016 when he, um, I don't know if it was instead of a catwalk show, but it didn't it didn't matter because it was so headline worthy and so like putting that app on on in the consciousness of people who've never heard of it before, and just totally normalising it. He so was like, this is where my audience is, so this is where I'm gonna go and sell my products, and it, it's kind of like it was mind blowing at the time. But it, yeah, it's it. A few designers have done it since, for sure. So that that's a prime example, I think.
0: Claire, what about like uh, what are you seeing in that space with sort of education and um, brands marketing?
3: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's it's really interesting. I think in in beauty in general, particularly in skincare, you know, we've had the the body and skin positive movements, and we're sort of seeing this sex. Positive uh, movement, sort of moving over into into this category, and it's all really about you know guilt-free exploration. It's about acceptance, and and really you know we're seeing brands reflect the full diversity of what modern sexuality looks like. Um, a lot of it is around you know understanding gender identity, and it's it's sort of understanding that gender identity and sexual preferences and physical anatomy. Uh, you know sit on a very broad spectrum, and we 're starting to see brands reflect this in their messaging um, and they 're sort of moving on this idea that you know sexual products or or sexual wellness products are um are binary and it 's sort of about almost designing for you know the body part and need, not the gender um, and and I think it 's really interesting the same way you know anti aging suddenly disappeared off all the products you know. The whole thing around feminine hygiene is another really interesting way of where the market is re-educating itself. So we've seen lots of of the really big period brands and some of the new indie brands coming through who've, you know, done away with the term feminine hygiene and they've replaced it, you know, with terms... um, so that the products are, are usable for all people with uh, periods, whether they're, you know, trans or non-binary. Um, and it's just, you know, and I think Cake, who I've probably mentioned quite a lot in this podcast, one of my favourite brands, you know, they have a, a, you know, when you go to navigate their site, you can go male, female, or they have fuck gender. So uh, shop how you want is one of the other options that you can do. And I really, you know, so th- these brands are, are, are really sort of it's not like an in-your-face education but um they're doing a really good job of it um but we're also the other thing i find really interesting is that in um in the same way we've sort of seen the skinification of every other you know beauty product we're starting to see this um move again into sexual wellness so in the same way that dermatologists have been the, you know, big beauty ambassadors, you know, that people want fact and fact-backed products. So we've seen Derms become, um, you know, the sort of brand ambassadors. We're now seeing it happening with gynecologists. So you're seeing products that are gynecologist-backed. And there's a lot of debunking of, you know, some of the myths and the sort of TikTok-type trends and the, you know, steaming your vagina-type trends. We're seeing them being debunked and things. So, yeah, there is this appetite for for fact, that we're seeing elsewhere and it's coming into here. And there's some brands doing a really, really good job of just helping people, you know, navigate these these sort of, new, that might be new or different areas that they want to explore.
0: So good, because it, it's, so, it's so fearful of the idea of going back to the 1950s and some sort of shame attached to, like, um, genitalia. But this is, like, completely breaking out of that. Um,
1: it's, there's also, like, there are less sort of confrontational, if you like, examples like Christopher Kane's More Joy line where he just has, like, everything from pants to doormats and they'll say the word sex or special or more joy. So they don't have to be, like, it doesn't have to be, like, about sex toys even. It's just about placing sex in people's consciousness as just another everyday act. Like, you know, the whole normalising thing. But it's also quite... Classy and sexy, and still it, it doesn't sort of make it boring.
0: Or well, yeah, or sort of smutty. <laughs> oh, or a little bit of smut's quite fun. I, I like that we're in not, you know, we've, we've seen this a lot in, in fashion, this moving away from the binary framing. Um, caitlin your report on inclusive sex toys is brilliant it's one of the reasons why we're having this chat today um and apparently four percent of gen z the gen z generation identify as non-binary transgender or gender non-conforming worldwide i'm certainly seeing it amongst my daughter's cohort in her school and i just wondered if you could talk a little bit about what you're seeing there and how tech brands are moving with the times and really um responding to that in their products
2: so um, to Claire's point earlier, you know, the industry at large is really moving away from this binary thinking in terms of traditional sex tech for cis men and cis women. So, you know, it's widely understood now that gender doesn't dictate genitalia. And brands such as, you know, Maud and SmileMakers and Laura DiCarlo and Dame, they're all placing focus on body parts um, instead of assuming the gender of the user. And I think, think what's really interesting is like the messaging and the language shift for the sex tech products um so you know they'll say something like vulva owners instead of just women um which really helps in terms of creating that kind of fluid messaging um that's accessible to everyone um and then in terms of software uh there's a lot of kind of erotic audio apps and ed- and even um dating platforms that are kind of backing up this same trend and hardware so Apps like uh, Tamey, which uh, you know you can specify whether you're intersex, trans, uh, non-binary, they're really great alternatives to Hinge and Tinder and Bumble, which do allow you to you know select from a range of different genders, but then you're met with follow-up questions like, oh, but where do you want to be in the search function, men or women? Or you know sometimes um, queer people are even like blocked um, from these platforms from other users for no good reason at all. Um, and then erotic audio apps, you have something like Quinn that offer this alternative to kind of these aggressive, gnarly um, porn hub narratives, which kind of opens up porn and erotic audio in a way that's like super accessible. And you can kind of see your, yourself and your sexual identity and your orientation in the stories themselves.
0: I think what, what's really interesting to me uh, slightly going off a tangent, but um, I have a fear of, of young people learning about sex through porn because of the narrative that has been the traditional narrative of porn, which is not, not very good for women. Um, But are are we seeing here a change in, in porn narratives as well? And this is slightly off topic, but is that, because I know on TV now, I'm going to be really frank, you don't really see people, um, you don't really see men receiving oral pleasure anymore. You see a lot of women receiving it. And that seems like a big shift culturally, um, Dave, my partner and I joke about it's not a TV, it's not an on the button TV program anymore if there isn't a woman being given pleasure. <laughs> um, are we are, are we also sort of thinking that this is positive in that this sex positivity is is sort of getting rid? We're really seeing the dying of that traditional narrative. Do we think that, or is there a backlash potentially as well?
3: Well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer it because I, I'm similar to you in that I have a you know 14 year old daughter, and it's something that that I. Um, Talk about, and I think I think for me it sort of enabled me to talk to her about other narratives as well. And I think I don't think that porn or you know those traditional narratives are going to go away necessarily. And you know you, you you could argue they couldn't, as we said. You know, there's a full, very wide spectrum of what people like and enjoy. Um, but I think what, what's good now is that she's able to see different narratives, whereas before that was possibly the only narrative that um, she was seeing. And it's enabled me to talk to her in about it in a way to say, you know, this is almost like a, a genre of sex, you know. And it's allowed me to have conversations with her about it in in a much more confident, confident way because she's already more informed than I probably ever was at that age. But there are different narratives to discuss so you know it for me it's, it's it's been quite a quite a help but like you it's something it's in the past it was something I worried
2: about there's even um this I think it's actually based out of London it's called the clit test have you guys heard of it so it's basically um rating the entertainment industry tv and film like was the clit acknowledged at all <laughs> like at, in conversation in not obviously view, but, like, you know, is, is it a part of the, the narrative? And there's a whole list of, like, every single TV show and film that ticks the box, so maybe, you know, um, with that kind of benchmark, more TV shows will be taking note and trying to get on the list as well. We've, we've often talked about, you know, media and everything being, you know, uh, being
3: portrayed through the male gaze, and I think now that we have more women directors and creatives and producers, we're, we're seeing truer narratives of, of things, you know, you know, you never see anybody clean up after sex, do you, in television programmes? You know, we're seeing more honest portrayals of what a sex is actually like, that it can be funny, it can be embarrassing, it can go wrong sometimes, it can be messy. And um, I think just that it's just this, not this one perspective anymore that I, I find hopeful. I'm gonna say I feel hopeful about it.
0: I thought what was um, interesting as well in your report, Caitlin, and and I was going to ask Nick about this is um, the sort of how some of the sex toys sort of making, if you like, straight men realise that things that gay men find pleasurable, they will also find pleasurable. Like there's um, some sex toys that um, touch upon the prostate and things like that. And I think you see in that breakdown, you think that's part of it all, Nick, too, with um, people just getting less hung up about gay sex, straight sex men.
1: Yes, it, it's it's like I said, I just it, that dialogue is allowed to be more open than it used to be and I think god it's not like straight men weren't ever watching gay porn before it's just that now that you know there's a small <laughs> exactly. there's a slight chance in the right conversation that they might admit that they do. Um and of course they're experiencing things in real life that they weren't letting on they're experiencing before it's just that now it's much more okay to talk about it and it's creating an industry around it obviously. Um, rightly so. But yeah, it's like, like so many of these things, like the existence of trans people, we're just acknowledging things now that we're acknowledging that they exist. Whereas before we like to brush all this stuff under the carpet and marginalize people and leave them flapping in the wind. Whereas now, I mean, to just to go back to the sex education, this the recent series that has just been on no spoilers but like it was a whistle stop tour of every <laughs> every kink every gender identity every uh, you know every sexual every kind of sexual relationship you could imagine it was like they had a checklist of things they were keen to talk about and 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 contextualize and normalize and i think it was amazing for that because there have been there is a precedent like there've been things like queer as folk where you saw queer relationships and at the time, I think it was the right way to go personally. They set out to shock. And my God, they did. I was—I literally watched it and prayed my parents weren't watching it because I did not want to discuss it with them. But sex education is different. I'm not saying it, it's easy, but it's, it doesn't set out to, you know stick two fingers up at people it's it sets out to to start a conversation
0: my goodness i sobbed in the last episode anyway um (laughs) so let's talk about um the categories of product that this is kind of leading to a bit more um in beauty i know you've done some reports on on this claire um, can you tell us a little bit about some of the new things? I know the menopause is out in the open a lot more now as well.
3: Yes. Thank it's, goodness. I know, a subject very close to my heart, thank you. But yeah, uh, um, it, it has opened up a lot of, of new categories. You know, it's gone beyond sort of, you know, lubes. That was it, wasn't it? There was sort of, that, that was your sexual wellness product. So, you know, perimenopausal and menopausal products, um, you know, the people experiencing those, they need, they have very specific sort of sexual needs. So there's a lot of products that help with everything from, you know, vaginal, dryness to low libido um so there's some great brands like womanness and um uh, taboo who are doing some really good products around that but it's also interesting because that sort of opened it up for people for older people as well you know there's a lot of people in their 60s 70s 80s you know still interested in sex and enjoying sex so a lot of these products are helping people sort of continue that intimacy into into later life which is really important um we talk we love we love a new beauty moment as you know on beauty and i think that's one of the other things that that sort of helped to come out in the the pandemic as well and there's a lot because there's a lot less focus on the act of sex itself there's a lot of new products that are um for sort of pre and post sex those those are the beauty moments so There's a lot of products that sort of help you get in the mood. And by that, I don't necessarily mean aphrodisiacs, although although there are a lot of functional fragrances that sort of work around that. But there's like Maud have done some great bath uh, uh, products that are designed, you know, if you want to bath with somebody or shower with somebody pre-sex. So you can sort of get ready and you can wash each other um and there's some you know it, it's just some really massage candles just really nice products that sort of are about intimacy that are in this wellness space and and I think you know it's just people have had the time to rediscover foreplay you know that time in the pandemic we, we were allowed to um you know uh, discover that and As I mentioned earlier, you know, sex can be a little messier time. And this is some, you know, these frank conversations have sort of opened this up as a product category. So um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's still going to be a lot of focus on hygiene as well. So there's some really great products that are are designed to make sex, you know, intimate and clean and safe and as discreet as possible. And so you've got brands like Future Method who have done products that are for like post-sex cleanup and things. And there's intimate wipes and again you know sanitizing sprays that are designed for you to um, clean your toys and things post uh, post sex so there's this sort of this pre and post thing is really interesting as well and the conversations that are happening around that and and these products that are designed you know specifically to sort of help with that
0: and they're very honest and very candid. I wonder Claire whether the fact that lots of people have been working for her from home in lockdown whether there's been some sex snacking going on as well. <laughs> people not perhaps not restricting it to like i don't know bedtime but um maybe well I maybe c-
3: there's a bit of that as well i couldn't possibly comment <laughs> beth but i'm not in any hurry not any let's of us ju- obviously we're all say, hard at work yeah let's just say i'm not in any hurry to go back to the office thank you <laughs> <laughs>
0: I wanted to touch a little bit on um talking of kind of um being inclusive that uh often um I think that was the other thing that was great about sex education uh people that are physically diverse and have different physical abilities um this assumption that they're sort of asexual is going out the window now as well thank goodness um and I wonder Caitlin I think you you've done some research around this um what's uh, what's happening in this space
2: so, the World Health Organization now classifies sexual pleasure as a human right. Um, and that's really changing the game in terms of prioritizing um, sex for everyone, everybody, every ability. Uh, and, you know, people with mobility challenges and any sort of physical limitation have rarely been depicted at all um, in terms of sexual beings. And that taboo has really caused a lot of negative impact on the communities. And, um, you know, Brands like Handy now, um, which create inclusive, accessible sex toys, um, are really changing the game. Um, They basically did all this really amazing reporting on physical limitations and self-pleasuring and sexual pleasure and they created this toy called the joystick and it includes like chin control technology and also hands-free packaging which I thought was really cool and also important Um, and then we are also I was also looking um, at senior sex and how that's also being enhanced with different initiatives like WeVibe um, and different tools that kind of take the strenuous labour out of certain toys and make it a little bit more accessible for different um, abilities and limitations too.
0: Also, I want to just talk a little bit, Caitlin, because you're our consumer tech specialist, about um, social platforms and how they're navigating this uh, sort of opening up, because we all know that it's actually, you know, there is some censorship around these things on on major platforms because there has to be because you know children have got access etc but what's happening and i know there was a bit of a controversy earlier this year right with OnlyFans. can you talk a little bit about that
2: yeah and the only fans was a funny one because then taiga was immediately i like i'm making my star so the consumer desire is definitely still there and, it, and it's being fought for um but you know to your point censorship is a tricky one because these big tech platforms need to be funded. And to your point, there's also children um, involved in, in, in viewership, so that needs to be really handled with care. Um, you know, in terms of specific platforms, you have platforms like Make Love Not Porn and Lips, which really kind of celebrate um, sexual expression and, and it's welcome to everyone. But, you know, what I'm thinking about now is like social platforms are gonna become embodied internet so right the metaverse and then if we're all avatars like can you sexualize a digital nipple or or can you gender it and you know where do you where do you draw the line and I'm really curious about how like humans are going to start to interact and um, you know in my opinion nudity will probably and promiscuity, whatever that is, will probably be regulated for some time. Um, But my hope is that these platforms can become and continue to be safer um, in terms of sex education and a place where people can explore their own sexual expressions. Mm.
0: Wow, I didn't realise there were so many different platforms out there for um, all these different things. It's fascinating. I wonder with talking about sort of brands getting involved with uh, marketing and, and messaging and sort of being a bit irreverent, which you've already talked about, Claire. But is there a, a point where they, how do you not offend? Obviously, you don't, you want to target as many, you know, consumers as possible. How do you not turn them off, so to speak? <laughs> right. What are your tips?
3: <laughs> well, you know, I think, as, as we've been talking today you know humour is a, a great way to address these uh, you know any topics in this space and and I, I do see a lot of uh, sexual wellness brands uh, using that even with how they name themselves you know um, quim a word I never thought I would say out loud on a podcast um, and you know brands like awkward essentials they're sort of you know they're alluding to the humour and the awkward of this and it, it's sort of very disarming and it just um, it just it sort of takes the nerve nervousness out of it and I think you know with a lot of people it is just you know they're just nervous and and, you know and pretty as especially as, as Brits we're very sort of you know uptight and prudish as well so um I think yeah humor is a great a great way of doing it but you know, it's still even about being very frank and very direct. Um, it's about your language. And we talked about the importance of, you know, education and, you know, using, you know, I, I brands who partner with like so-called sex experts and, and gynecologists so that, you know, there's there's science and um, and backing uh, that are with their products. Kiku, I again mentioned earlier, I think they're, they're sort of a masterclass, you know, they're a blueprint for a, a brand doing this really well they work they're almost a community uh, wellness brand they work with their consumers to help them design sex toys you know they find out how people are having sex and what they do and explore everything and they they actually have designed their sex toys based on their findings they actually have um you know the products have wonderful names like tush kush you know so there's there's they're, they're just there's something very nice about that and then they also have a section on their site that is about uh it's called sex ed you know it's a sex ed education section and they cover everything from you know tips on how to come out to somebody from how to do you know very specific kinks or different ways of things if you if you've never tried it before and you're curious they've got these very frank how to's on how to approach it and how to do it safely or um, in a way that you're comfortable with and I think you know that as I say they're they're to me a blueprint of a brand who is doing everything right in this space in in, in terms of the way they're communicating, uh, who they're appealing to. Um, yeah, the, so that, that would be sort of my answer to that. You'd have, a, have a look at what they're doing.
0: I do want to touch upon the fact that we're in... Um, UK and some areas of the world are less um uh open about about these things. And I just wondered it's obviously in different stages of evolution in different world regions. So obviously that's a tricky one if you're a global brand, right? Um, so Claire, what what's your advice there about that?
3: Yeah, it, it is tricky for brands, and it, it's something that when we're writing, we're also mindful of that we, we're writing for a global audience, and that you know we we have to respect that you know uh, different cultures have different attitudes towards sex; they're at different places on their journey. And in some places, there's there's laws and legislation in place that where you know certain practices are still considered illegal. So, you know, brands do have to be very aware of what's going on in the countries that they're they're selling in, in and you know, um, and 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 work within that. Um, we, I think, you know, China's really interesting. I, I ahead of the podcast, I I, checked, I spoke to my uh, colleague in uh, Singapore about this, and you know, she was talking about how Asia Pacific where. But, um, particularly in China, where um, it's been a quite uh, uh, conservative mindset towards sex. And that's really changing. And the, the, the younger generation in China are really sort of exploring uh, sexuality. And I think uh, the online sexual wellness market sort of uh, doubled year on year last year. It was, you know, 50 percent. So there's a real interest in in that. And I think it's it's around discussions of child of, of of gender and freedom, um, but she was also saying that the uh, the, the the change to the three child policy in China has also allowed people to explore more, and they're more interested in sex, even if it's just from a point of view of procreation. You know, so um, she said it's it's a very interesting uh, uh, and, and sort of yeah, definitely tracking and going in the same way. Um, Elsewhere as well, you know, uh, India saw demand for sexual wellness products go up like 65% last year. So there's a lot happening around there. And we've also been looking at the Middle East as well, where, you know, traditionally women have very little sex education, um, even around their sexual health as well. But we're seeing that um, move on. And There's a great platform called um, uh, uh, Moj, I think it's pronounced. Um, And they're educating women about their sexual health and their wellness. So, I think what brands need to do is just you know be aware of what's where certain countries are, you know where certain cultures are within their um sort of sexual wellness journey, be respectful of that um but they are a power for change you know that we as brands you know they can be activists and they can help move these conversations forward so um but yeah, I think you know. We had the, you know, the the sexual revolution in the sixties. I think we're definitely in the sexual wellness revolution now, and and that is a global thing that's happening.
0: And I just want to touch upon um, something that we predicted actually uh, as part of our top trends for this year and beyond, which was we we touched upon digi sexuality. Um, and I just wanted you are our VR AR expert, Caitlin. I mean, I, I the possibility slightly blow my mind. The idea of you maybe being into in an immersive I don't know, a sexy party and you could have haptic things that meant you could feel like you were touching someone. What what was going on? It sounds like there's some interesting things happening or could be happening there.
2: Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot there. Um, So immersive sex tech um, in the industry is called teledildonics. And they're basically tools for remote interaction. And we saw this really boom during the pandemic. But, um, you know, it's been around for years. There was even, um, I think it was 2016, the Kissinger, which um, was this kind of silicone platform that you could give it a little kiss and then have it virtually sent to a remote partner. Um, Or, you know, Bluetooth connected sex toys that can be controlled by a partner from you know a distance away, and now we have the Satisfiers Love Triangle, which is a smart toy that creates multi sensorial blends of sound and haptics and even has custom voice commands. Um, but where this really kind of spices up is AR and VR, to your point. So um, it sounds crazy to, to think about these experiences coming to life, but VR porn actually accounts for 50% of the total VR market, um, and we're seeing brands like Raspberry Dream Labs offer multiple. Multi-sensory experiences to be able to connect um, with partners from afar through s- kind of this simulated human touch. Um, but one thing that I think is great about VR sex, even though it seems a little bit futuristic, is that VR sex is safer. Um, you know, it gives autonomy back to and safety back to sex workers because they're able to kind of, you know, engage with their clientele um, in in a safe way, um, and then it also just lets you explore. You know, if you're someone who's bi curious, and you know you're looking to um, have kind of a sexual experience with the same gender, but you don't, you know, you might not be ready to do it um, IRL. You can you can hop into these different um, platforms and you know kind of explore explore your desires, explore your kinks um, in safe and positive ways. And then going back to digisexuals, that's really where our relationships sex and identity intersects intersect with technology um and as it becomes more integrated into our lives in the future you know we'll look to kind of heightened extended extended reality experiences um you know to my point earlier digital twins being sexual beings and even the expansion of robotic relationships which i touched on in my report um kind of touching on the fantasy that we've been talking about, in, like, for decades in, in sci-fi movies and everything. Um So, like, brands like Gatebox and everything uh will probably expand more, and we're going to be seeing a little bit more kind of robotic human interaction in the future.
0: Fab. Is it always going to be, do we think, um a remote thing? I mean, we, we're talking a lot on the site about experiential retail. Is there going to be a time when these two things collide?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think... To your point, you could still use VR headsets or extended reality hardware, you know, in partnership with a physical partner. Um, You know, I haven't seen too many brand case studies uh, that depict that yet, but I don't see why not. And it could, you know, spice some stuff up. You could be animals or avatars or have different different senses going on. So yeah, there's a lot there.
3: I guess it also does away with the, you know, virtual sex does away with the problem of who gets the wet patch as well, you know. Um, There's there's, there's lots of advantages I'm seeing
2: here.
0: 100%. Oh my God, we need to wrap this up. That's almost the perfect thing to end on. But I did want to ask one more question, really, which is to all of you or whoever wants to answer it. Um, If a brand or a designer is, is wanting to kind of, create a product in this space or launch a new startup in this space have you got some words of advice um and we'll go i don't know claire do you want to go first
3: yeah i think um i think post pandemic you know we, we there's a lot of uh intimacy nostalgia going on where we're sort of looking back to those halcyon days where we could have um you know uh, you know interact quite freely and i think there's um a lot of uh there's a there's an opportunity here for for brands to create products that allow people to reconnect safely um, and I would even include in that a lot of the brands who you know uh, pivoted to produce hand san- hand sanitizers early on I think there's an opportunity to sort of reposition products like that as a as a as a way to help us embrace this raunchy new norm that's out there and, and allow people to reconnect safely. Um, apart, apart, from that, I think, you know, approach designing wellness products like you would any other daily essential and, you know, um, and, and, and make it and, and move away from those stereotypes and, and making sex bi- binary really
0: when you're designing. Caitlin, have you got, if, if it's a sort of maybe a tech company?
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. So I totally agree with you, Claire. Um, accessibility and inclusive and inclusivity have to be, you know, top of mind from design, user experience, packaging, and even, you know, beta testing on as many bodies and identities as possible. And then in terms of intimacy, I don't think people kind of inherently connect technology intimate right it's kind of like a dichotomy Um, but the sex tech industry is really changing those ideas and I think it'll be really interesting to see how tech can solve intimacy challenges Um, so you know one interesting way could be creating this multi-sensory through AR and VR and not only finding you know how what sex feels like but you know what does it smell like what does it sound like like what does it look like all these different things that you could kind of partner with these software platforms in order to merge these different senses into the hardware that you're offering and bringing those realities closer together
1: and nick what about you um i would just say that the aim should be n- try not to alienate anyone as much as these probably are to a degree, kind of specialised products, Um, you know, considering a a kind of bigger spectrum of masculinity that is being discussed in a lot of societies at the moment, that should enable a conversation around just creating products that are more accessible for more different kinds of men. And that as a narrative um, ought to create a better commercial opportunity, I I would have assumed, really, to, to appeal to a wider group of consumers. Why wouldn't any brand want that?
0: Thank you to Nick, Claire and Caitlin for taking time to talk today. If you're a WGSN subscriber, you'll find reports covering many of the hot topics we touched upon across our platforms, from inclusive sex tech on consumer tech, to sex-positive marketing on Insight and several reports about sexual wellness, the new frontier in beauty on beauty. And if you want to find out how to subscribe, head over to wgsn.com to discover how you can get access to our service. We're constantly publishing new content focusing on how we can design a brighter, better future for our industries, which include food and drink, interiors, beauty, fashion and consumer tech. You can subscribe to the show on all the major podcast platforms. And if you like what you've heard, why not leave us a rating and review on iTunes. I'd just like to thank our producer, Roland Bodenham, who enjoyed listening in to this one this week. And we'll be back in two weeks for our next episode. So until then, stay well and healthy and we'll see you next time.